All right, so now we've got that out of the way. Lord, we just thank you for your presence and um, for your word, Lord. How many of you acknowledge God is in the room because we've welcomed him in worship and we love him. We love his presence. And we don't want you to just be here for us generally. Be here for each of us personally. Manifest yourself. Reveal yourself through the teached, the preached, and declared word of God. Our hearts are receptive, Lord. May the seed, the incorruptible seed of your word, the word like you spoke and the worlds were formed. You said, let there be light. You simply said that. And the darkness had no option. It ceased because the light took over. Let your word speak in our hearts in such an, with such authority. Reshape, shape, deliver, set free, save, encourage. Give the spirit of wisdom and revelation in this room, Lord God. May every person in this room in the coming days and weeks say, I've never been this spiritually mature or strong in my life. May there be an awareness of assignments and callings and, and the awareness of this season and the blessing that's on the other side of breakthrough. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. This morning, I'm going to teach just a little bit in an unorthodox way. I'm going to recap some things over the last five weeks that I feel like the Lord spoke to us that can't go, I just can't as a pastor, let him go and not just highlight them. And then I want to offer a Vertical Church 2.0 update. And the last six years, every summer, either the last Sunday of June or the first Sunday of July, I, I have taught on what a vertical church is. And so we're going to talk about a recap of what I feel like the Lord has said in the last five weeks, and then we'll move into vertical church update. And um, I posted something early this week because I just had an aha moment. Part of it was from some conversation we had in our staff meeting. And, um, and it was just reflecting back through the Winter is Over series. How many of you are glad winter is over? And winter is over is over. Y'all get that? And, um, and the humid summer hadn't come. Winter is over, and it still feels like we're in San Diego, but we got conservative values and a better governor than if we were in San Diego. Not a lot better, but better. Um, I can't believe I just said that. Candace just got nervous. Thank God we're not live on Facebook. But um, in, in reflecting back, the Lord said three things that are worth repeating. Um, in that post, I said perennials, pillars, and firewalls. I didn't know that was going to be kind of something that would ex you could extract out of that series and then the Father's Day message last week. You never know how things are going to set or re resonate in people. And I didn't read about firewalls or get that from another sermon or pastor or book. The Lord just dropped that in my spirit last week. And so I want to revisit, first of all, perennials as opposed to annuals. Annuals are plants that they bloom and then they're gone. 
Most annuals are very colorful and bright and attractive, more than the perennials. They're sexier than the perennials. They get all the attention. They, they, they bloom, they blossom, and then they're gone. And then the perennials come back year after, sometimes we call them evergreens. But God's raising up perennials, people who can be in season and out of season. I just, I want you to hear me because I, I, I feel like the a mandate from the Lord to just reiterate this. You know, um, there are plants that they blossom, but they're perennials and they come back. You know, like we, the native plant here is azaleas. They blossom and they're beautiful for 25 minutes. And then they're gone, and you got to wait a whole nother year. We plan the whole golf world, the Masters Golf Tournament. All the majors in, in, in PGA Tour are set on the Masters. When the azaleas are blooming in Georgia, and that's why they call that corner Amen Corner, because it's just beautiful. And some of us are that. We blossom for a while, and then we, we drift back, but we hold on. We're coming back next year. And I just want to tell you, growing up in Virginia, I think a lot about hardwoods. We didn't have pine trees in Virginia. We had hardwoods. And there's nothing more beautiful than when you move up the eastern seaboard and you see those hardwoods. They speak of the glory of God. In our last house, we lived in it about 18 years, and I specifically wanted, because I knew the brilliance of a sugar maple. In Virginia... A sugar maple tree is a hardwood, slow growing, but they can live for a couple hundred years. And those leaves will go from green to orange to red to yellow, back to red to orange. They literally do that, and then they fall off. It's incredible to watch. Anybody love good hardwood like me? And um, we planted a bunch of those in our last house. And I watched those things mature. We paid a lot of money to get some pretty mature ones. But 17 or 18 years. The one thing I hate about moving out of that house are those, that rascal that bought that place for me. He should pay me for planting those things. <laughs> Since we've moved over here over four years ago, I, truthfully, I have gone by in the fall and driven just to see those sugar maples, perennials. God's wanting to make some of you, he wants to touch your life with the splendor, the glory of what it is to be planted in one space. Hear me, I sense the Lord in what I'm saying to you. I wouldn't re-preach a sermon unless I felt like the Lord was saying some of you, if you could just stay where you're planted, you'd get better. You would mature. We live in a transient culture. It's hard to find a native Atlanta. When the Mets come to town, they're, they're more of them and they're way more obnoxious than the Braves fans. Can I get a witness? So we're a transient people. And God's wanting to make two things happen when you are in a place that's getting on your nerves and you want to uproot and go somewhere. Two things will happen if you'll stay there. 
You will mature, and that place will get better because you've matured. And you're in a place where other people are committed to maturity personally and corporately. And that's what God's plan is for us to be. This is what the writer in Psalm was talking about. In Psalms 1, everybody listen. He starts out and says, Blessed is the man who doesn't run around with a bunch of loud mouth, critical hypocrites. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he will be like a tree planted by the river of water. And he will never wither. He will always be blooming. And whatever he does will prosper. And I just want to encourage, I just, I'm, so much is marinating in me right now. This is what, I, this is the Holy Spirit wanting me to say stuff I didn't say in the first service. And I'm going to yield to it. Perennials. Being committed. Staying. When you don't want to stay. When your emotions say, get out of here. It'll be better somewhere else. If you could just stick to it, commit. It's the Amish people. The Quakers have a, a, a council of wisdom, they call it. You know, years ago, we've made fun of the Quakers and the Amish. No smartphones, no telephones, no cars, no refrigeration. And now they're the fastest growing religious sect in America, people are going, here, take my cell phone, take my refrigerator, give me a couple horses and let me and my children find us 10 acres somewhere to put our milk down in a cold creek. Am I right? It's, it, you can do the research on it. This is the truth. It's what's happening. Do you know the Quakers, like let's take Russ and Barbara as a couple. Russ gets an opportunity, a promotion to go move to St. Louis. And it's double the pay. Most of us wouldn't even pray about it. And the Quakers go, Russ, you don't get to make this decision. Neither does Barbara. And they sit with 10 to 15 friends. And they get to ask probing questions in a loving and supportive way. And at the end, that group will either say, we believe it's God's will. This is obviously a calling. And we believe his blessing as you uproot your children and move and do that. Or they will say, Russ, because we love you, we don't think the extra money is worth what it will cost. We think God. And some of that kind of thinking is unthinkable to us. Because most of us have never experienced church the way it's designed to be experienced. We think we can just uproot and go. And we'll be the same, we'll be fine, and the people where we leave will be fine. And we have no understanding for how far it's going to set our children back. And then we get there and it takes us two years to find a church because our priorities are off. We're a bunch of annuals living in a world where God only blesses perennials. How many of you say, God, make me a perennial? 
I, that's all right. It's a little slow in here. But we were talking yesterday. Um, Rennie Scott, who was in the first service, came up to me and he said he saw Candace's cousin Jensen last week. And Jensen said something that Candace's dad reached out to Jensen and said, pray for Chuck. And he spoke a word over my life. And Jensen said, it's beautiful to see that word come true. And Rennie said to me, I don't think oaks of righteousness can be developed overnight. It takes generations sometimes. Some of you right now, you are an oak of righteousness. You're about to leave a legacy, a spiritual inheritance for your children. But you're in the early stages and you don't see it yet. And the enemy will do everything he can in the most creative way at some point just to get you to uproot. Don't do it unless God gives you the absolute green light. And you need some mature seasoned people in your life to set in your council to be able to ask you questions and to collectively make a good, godly decision. I mean, I, I, this isn't preaching, like, this isn't shouting stuff, but this is good stuff. I thank God for a mother and father that if I said, pray with me about this, they would. And then they would tell me. They'd let me make the decision. If it was the one that the Lord told them was the right one, they'd let me do it. And if I would made a different one, they would just gently come around Heaven will have to reveal to me the things they saved me from. All of us need someone that will help us grow up and be one of those trees with branches of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and the leaves just turn colors in our lives and our lineage speaks to the glory of God. Anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Come on, give the Lord praise. <laughs> Secondly, perennials and pillars. I'm going to move as quickly as I can. We, three weeks ago, we talked about pillars from Genesis 28. Remember Jacob, he was a, he didn't have, listen, he didn't have the character he needed to see the calling on his life fulfilled. So God had him sleep on some hard stuff. He took a rock, and it was that situation that it was hard to sleep carrying what he was carrying. And God turned that pillow of a rock into a situation that made him, Jacob, a pillar of the faith. And that's why we now call it the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hear me, brothers and sisters. God is making some of you pillars. Some of you, this is not for everybody in the room, but this, and this won't be stuff you'll hear churches down the street, but this is what the Lord is saying. Some of you are being called in this season to move beyond being a consumer and being a producer in your faith. And the question cannot always be, do we want to go to church tonight? What, what are we going to get? Some of you are going to be moved in, and you feel it happening right now. And even as I'm speaking, some of you are going, 
He's talking about me. It's not me, it's him talking to you. You're you're being called into a season of producing, not just getting, but giving, because God is making you a pillar. Jacob woke up that morning and he poured anointing oil over that rock and he consecrated it to the Lord. And it's a picture of me and you going, God, this stuff that keeps me up at night, it's a tough situation. It's hard, but I give it to you. And then what did Jacob say? He said, God is here. I didn't recognize it. I'm going to rename this place Bethel. This is where God met. This is the house of God. That's what that meant. He anointed that rock. And then he said, let that rock be the first, that pillow that became the thing. God turned me into a pillow. Let that be the first brick in the house that God is building. It's a great picture. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Everybody listening so far? And so what, what's the message right here? If you can learn to overcome some hard stuff, some of you right now, you are, you're going to come up over that difficult situation. Some of you, you may have never held on as tightly and made it through some of the stuff you're being pulled through. But by God's grace and by his spirit and God's commitment to fulfill his destiny through you, you're going to make it through it. How many of you are glad you've overcome some stuff? Listen, how many of you can remember you have overcome some stuff? You found out what you're made of. Look what the Bible says in Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, I know your works, for you have little strength. How many of you know that's, that's me? I got just a little bit left. And God says, but you have kept my word and have not denied my name because you have kept my command to Hold on, break through, persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial. Hold fast what you have. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I'm I'm reminded of the picture in John chapter 1. Andrew brings Simon Peter, just impetuous, easily distracted, put his foot in his mouth, Simon. And Jesus, the first time he saw Simon, he said, you are Simon, son of John. I know you and your dad, and you're just like him. You're unreliable, but you will be called Peter. This morning, the Lord is saying to somebody in this room, I know who you are, but you will be called And you're entering into a relationship with me as a disciple, Jesus would say. And I'm going to make you a pillar. In this hour, where the Lord's taking his church, we're going to need some people who can shoulder the load. People who can hold up this corner of the burden of the ministry for the church. Pillars. And I just declare over you. Most everybody that comes here says things like this. It's a special group of people at Restoration. It's like a bunch of eagles in this room. And there is. I mean, it's not just for us to gather here and talk about how awesome and mature and spiritually blessed we are. This this church has a mandate from the Lord as mature people to be pillars in the community. There's an anointing on this church to help other churches 
to see how to break out of what they used to be into what God's calling them to in the name of Jesus. Come on, just give the Lord praise. And then lastly, firewalls. Perennials, pillars, and firewalls. I didn't know last week. I didn't get it from a book or read it or hear it from another preacher. The Lord just said, it's the firewall of fatherhood. And we, we looked in Isaiah 39. King Hezekiah got the report from Isaiah. Imagine being king and the man of God brings the word of God. And the word of God is this. If you don't fix the worship, the people from Babylon are going to come in and take your sons and make them eunuchs, castrate, neuter, neutralize them. Going to make them something other than their gender assigned at birth. And if there's not a better picture, I don't, there's not one. I don't know of it. And he got that report, Hezekiah did. And he said, essentially, well, at least it's not going to happen to us. We're not going to be eunuchs. It'll be our sons and grandsons. And he kicked the can down the road. And a firewall, oh God, give us some firewall U.S. citizens. Give us some firewall patriots. Give us some firewall spiritual moms and dads. Give us some firewall restoration church family members. Give us some firewall worshipers, some firewall psalmists. Give us, oh God, give us a firewall pastor who says, no, we're not kicking it down the can, the can down the road. We are standing right now interceding and saying, not today, Satan. You can take my life but you are not going to take my children. It'll be over my dead body that you get my children. My sons are going to be raised as men of God. Come on, somebody. Let the firewall spirit get on you. Glory to his name. There's a be- I'm, not, I'm just going to mention this and move right along quickly. Zachari- it's Zechariah the prophet in the Old Testament, a little minor power pack, just a few chapters. There's a picture, and you need to get this. Mike Atkins talked about it during COVID on one of his car church nights. And it's the ring of fire. And it's when God says, I'll be your firewall. Verse 5, chapter 2 says, Then I myself, God speaking, I will be a protective wall of fire around Jerusalem, my people says the Lord, and I will be the glory inside the city. And Pastor Mike taught, and he spoke about, listen, when we gather, we want the firewall, the circle of fire. What does that mean? God's present. He's warming us, inspiring us, purifying us, the fire, and he's empowering us. How many of you are glad the firewall God himself is our firewall. He's the first father, the firewall father. How many of you are thankful for it? I mean, listen, you don't want to ever gather. I don't want to ever have to preach to you without that ring of fire over us. You can't see it, but it's just hovering over us right now. Heaven's being released because of it, and hell's being driven back 
because of it. It's that intense. Come on, somebody just tell the Lord, bring the fire. Send the fire, Lord. Drive back our adversaries. Yes, Lord. Now, that's the end of the introduction to the sermon. That's actually the whole first part. But can we just declare, I mean, just, Lord, we just, we soak in the calling for perennials, pillars and firewalls. Raise them up in this church, Lord. Let there be a movement. Because the last day's church, this vertical church, will produce perennials, pillars and firewalls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, let me move the, my remaining minutes, and I want to talk to you about vertical church. How many of you ever heard, since you've been to Restoration Church, the term vertical church? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever been through vertical church class? It's like eight weeks. Okay, good. There's a lot of you who have. If you haven't, we'll be offering it. I think I'll be leading it this fall um, with uh, Brett Tenney. And I want to encourage you. It is, it, it's, it's epic. You, you will never see church the same. You'll see it for what it, wow, all that God intends for it to be. And everybody look right here. We're not horizontal. We're vertical. Horizontal church is what most of you came from. It's what most of us, the trendy, sexy, impressive, influential churches across America the last 30 years have been horizontal churches. Even the well-written, popular book, the Purpose Driven Church. They did research in their community around L.A. What would you like to see in a church? What would we need to do and not do to keep you coming back to that church? Horizontal. Horizontal church says, let's go around the neighborhood. How can we get them here? What would we like? Give away stuff? Entertain? Stay away from certain subjects? Teach certain subjects? Horizontal church. And what we've done is gotten really good at it. And now we have big crowds and low impact. We have influence as we've bowed down to the idol of influence. And it's even gotten worse with social media. Everybody wants to be an influencer. And we got people with lots of followers, but you're having no impact on them. You're selling stuff. It's menial, trivial stuff that doesn't even matter, but you're not able to impact them. Horizontal living. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? But vertical church says, what does he like? How do we get him to come and not be offended so that he'll keep coming? And a vertical, how many of you understand that Jehovah, the Lord God who is present among us, is really here. Like right now, I had to tell myself last night praying, get more excited about him being there than you preaching a good sermon about what it's like when he's there. Anybody just hear me what I just said? It, it is so easy to get side off and not make the main thing the main thing. If God comes, and he will if we welcome him. If he comes, you won't have to go to the neighbors and go, hey, what would we need to do 
Because in their, God put eternity in their hearts. Even the Muslims, Buddhists within this area. I know what their answer is. If God came, I'd come. Let him come. If he comes, the people will come, but they won't be the same. They'll be transformed. And you may think, Pastor Chuck, you sell a big old line of you know what. No, I don't. This is the word of God. We quote all that stuff. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all we can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that's already at work in us. We've been living way beneath our, we've been running around in first gear in this 16-cylinder turbocharged race car. How many ready? Let's change the gears. We're going to skip two, three, four. We're going to get all the way down over the sixth gear. Y'all believe this stuff. God, come. We want to be a vertical church. Now, what is vertical church is, if, if you've been through the class, you've, it's characterized by four things. The first one is unashamed worship. We don't come with our arms folded. We don't come and go, I didn't really like the worship. Well, you don't get to have an opinion because we're not worshiping you. We're worshiping him. He tells us what worship is. Amen? Jack Hanford's the one that said it, and I say it in all humility. I don't, right now, like, I, I don't even want to be cutesy and, and talk in jest. This stuff is so much more sacred. The temptation as a communicator in America's church is get cutesy. Make him laugh. I don't even want to do that. I want him to come. I want us to be more excited about him being here than we are about talking about him being here. Unashamed adoration, where we go. And you know, it was Jack Hayford, I started to say. He said, um, men go, if I bring my friends, my male friends, don't, when we start worshiping, you know, you're going to injure their pride. Jack Hayford said, well, good, I, I, I don't want to injure their pride. I want to kill their pride. Amen? That's unashamed worship is just, Lord, we love you. It's an audience of one. Unashamed. Few of us have been in atmospheres of unashamed worship. May we, it's not about them. It's not about the quality of them. It's not about looking at them. It's about him. And most of the people that come from other churches to lead worship here, they say, I've never heard a congregation Sing louder. You remember in Kairos, our sound men told us, we, what they call it, we have maxed out. The, there, there's no headroom. We can't turn it up louder. And we can't hear the band because the people are singing. That is a vertical church. How, has God, how did we make it 15 months having to park 400 people, cars off campus? God was here in this place. How many of you are thankful? And that's why you're coming back. Come on, somebody. Unashamed adoration. Unashamed worship. Secondly, and I'll hurry through these, unapologetic preaching. And that's not some smart aleck, Fox News watching, conservative bigot. 
preach from the old-timey scriptures. Unapologetic preaching is usually the man or woman who does that with a heart for God will have tears in their eyes. And how many of you know it's the Word of God that we want to hear taught? We don't want Chuck or Candace's opinion or Pastor Mine's or the Church of God's. We want to hear, thus saith the Word of God. Can we agree we love the Word at Restoration Church? We love the Word. Amen. Thirdly, there will be unceasing prayer. We pray. Prayer is the engine of the church. If you've never been on a Tuesday from 6 to 7 p.m., please come. They pray before both services on Sunday. The sweetest service all week long is the Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. It's usually about 15 or 18 of us. It's just sweet. We anoint every chair with oil. Unceasing prayer. Prayer is the engine of the And then fourthly, unafraid witness. Now, back in the early 80s, it was um, D. James Kennedy at Coral Ridge Presbyterian who came out with the great witnessing program called Evangelism Explosion. And it was about training people to share their faith. Any of you remember that? Few of us are old enough too. But in a vertical church, you won't have to have witnessing classes to help people get over the fear of sharing their faith. In a vertical church, the people will naturally tell their friends, co-workers, and family, you've got to come to my church because God does. Are you all out there? How many of you have invited someone? How many of you have invited people more readily to this church than any other church you've ever been a part of? Just hold up your hand. How many of you are here because someone who came here invited you? Hold up your hand. Now, how many of you came here because you bought a Christmas tree from here? The Hallmark people are with us too. It's precious. But in a vertical church, can you imagine if God just keeps on doing stuff that only he can do? How many of you know we won't have enough parking spaces? We won't have enough seats. You'll have to get here early. Because God's at work. Now, that's what a vertical church is. How many of you are glad God has delivered you from horizontal church? And you are in a vertical church under the spout where the glory comes out. All right. Now, in a, for a closing, and I've got 19 minutes. Are y'all good? Somebody said to me in the first service, could you just keep going? I said, no. But in the second service, I can't. <laughs> um, I'm not going to keep going. But I, I don't, I, there's a lot the Lord's wanting to say to us. This is a critical juncture in the life of our church. And I realize this season, it's critical. Not just in the world, but what we've been through, what we're going through. And God's call for our church. Now, I, I, I'm going to refer to, a book here in just a second. I didn't know I was going to say this. I said it in the first service. I feel like I should say it here. Some of you people, if I mention a word about a, a, a high-profile pastor in the culture, some of you Google them, and you find something negative, and you go, I'm leaving that church because he mentioned this ministry or that ministry or that book. Or Don't stop doing that. 
Stop Googling to find out someone's character and get full of the Holy Spirit so you can discern what the truth is about someone. And if, even if that upset you, God bless you. There's another church for you, and next week, I pray they receive you well. I'm not kidding. Because of social media, we are so critical, so judgmental, and we know everything. In North Atlantans, we're educated and affluent, prideful people. We have a high opinion of our opinion. I've, done, I've, been in, I've ministered in North Atlanta since 1989. I have the right to say that. And I've been beat up by crazy opinions. And thank God for it, that I, I, I'm still standing. And people just, it's foolishness to Google someone's character. Pray to God we don't Google you. We would dismember you and disinvite some of you. Amen? Aren't you glad you're not one of them? I'm serious. One guy came to me one time. He said, Pastor Chuck, we can't find anything about you on the Internet. I said, that's by design and protection. All my old stuff, I don't want it out there. Now, there's a bunch out there now. But people just judge. I need to move on. How many of y'all getting, how many even know, though, it's the truth. It's a, it's a living truth. People in Alabama criticizing Nick Saban because he hadn't won a championship in ever how many years. Just don't be a stupid Alabama football season. Thank you, King David. I think it's been longer than that, but anyhow. Um, I'm feeling good up here. I'm feeling free. All right. There's an old classic book by Rick Joyner, and it, the title of it's The Apostolic Ministry, and it's just a, it's a small, simple little read, but it's power-packed. Now, I don't agree with Rick on everything, but Candace said yesterday, we were talking about this, she goes, you know, people need to learn. Chew the meat. Swallow it, spit out the bones. Um, we're not going to agree on everything. Now, and you go, oh, the apostolic ministry, is this part of the new apostolic reformation? Let me just remind you, the word apostle came from the Bible. That's a Bible word, and there are apostles. There are pastors, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, too. And that's, that's scriptural, right? Now, in the book, I'm going to read about seven or eight quotes. And, you, and if you want these, I'll send you the Google Docs and you can, you can get them or you can take pictures because some of you are going to want to. This is the church, the Vertical Church 2.0 update that I'm offering. Look what it says here. The first part of the book says this. There is more power in a single Christian than in all of the armies on the face of the earth. I'm going to pause and let everybody go, amen. The truth, this truth will become known throughout the earth before the end of this age. God dwells in his people. And when his people come to know this as living truth rather than doctrine, the world will then know this truth also. Come on, somebody. Next, the emerging generation ha must have adventure in their lives. Oh, Lord, we've had enough adventure to last us for the next 10 years. The devil often takes advantage, advantage of this need. 
I don't have time to deal, drill down, but the 25-year-old, he was created for a faith-filled adventure. And that's why he jumps off bungee jumps and does crazy things. Thrill-seeking. That's what he's referring to. Um, the devil often takes advantage of this, need, but, of this need, but God put it there for a reason. The final generations on this earth are going to live the greatest adventure the world has ever known. There is no greater adventure than the true Christian life. And the true Christian life is about to be restored in the earth. Come on, somebody. We must also understand that this will mean the end of the church as it is now. Radical change is coming, and those who are not discerning enough to see it and become a part of it will not survive much longer. The reason the church emerged in the book of Acts as a force that could so change the world was because, say this with me, the Lord was among them. Vertical church. They had encounters with him day by day. He was their message, and he did great works among them. Because of this, it was not long before the most powerful influences on the planet knew of these people and not long afterward were in great fear of them. These, these believers shook the earth with their message and their lives. It will happen again. Come on, somebody. It seems as if the Lord purposefully chose leaders for his new church whom absolutely no one would follow unless these leaders were anointed with his presence. These people knew that their leaders had almost all recently denied the Lord and fled from him when he needed them most. These leaders did not have a great plan or program. In fact, there was no reason for anyone to follow them except one. Say it with me. The Lord had appointed them. He had anointed them. And come on, say it out loud. He was with them. Their authority was the result of just one fact. The king lived in them. The first century church really had only one thing going for them. God. Oh, God, help us get back to that. Amen? He was all that they would need. The Lord was in their midst, living, doing wonders, teaching, comforting, and providing. The Lord has his first leaders in a place where they were completely dependent on him. They could not lead, build, or even teach unless he was present. They had no other plan to fall back on if he did not go with them and do the works. If the Lord did not go with them, they were helpless. This is precisely the foundation the church is about to return to. You just, we got to acknowledge, I just think that's the Lord. Now get ready for this. Are you ready? What would the church, this is the summation of the book. What would the church look like if it were built not to attract people, but to attract God? All right. Everybody still on? All right. How, how are we going to do that? I got a couple quick things to say. We need to simplify and purify. And that's, that's easier said than done. So what will you see here? You'll never see a fog machine in here. You'll never have lights and sexy. Watch us. 
Come back because this is awesome. You'll never have that. It'll be simple and pure. And look at, listen to me, everybody. Purity has a way. Well, let me say it. Please listen. Profound. Listen. Dirge has something beautiful that the world is looking for. But the church keeps trying to be sexy. Um, let me illustrate this by telling you a story. I heard Michael Miller, the pastor of Upper Room in Dallas, share. He said um, his wife had a dream that he felt like was a prophetic word for the church in America. Listen closely. Michael Miller's wife, in a dream, dreamed that she was buying a wedding dress. And she was in the room trying on a number of dress, dress after dress after dress. And she didn't like any of them. They were immodest, too revealing, low cut, have a slit, too shiny, sequined. And she tried on a number of dresses. And you girls know, a wedding dress, you don't like just pull it on like a t-shirt and go, no, I don't like it, take it off. It's like, and she was just irritated. And she finally peeked out, pulled the curtain out, and she said to the attendant, do you know who I am? I'm the bride, and I don't want to be sexy. I want to be beautiful. Oh, that the church would say, do we know who we are? We don't want to be trendy and eye-catchers. We just want to be beautiful. Listen, God is power. He's pressure washing the church right now. Restoring simple purity. We were at Arvel's, Pastor Arvel and Cheryl's daughter's wedding. And it's been, it's been a while since I've been in a wedding. And last, last Friday night, right before Maddie came down the aisle, everybody was in place. All, and the music stopped. And just that, that moment, it's magical. And Maddie has never been more beautiful. That bride walking down. The, and the Lord spoke to me. I was like, oh God. And she is sweet, godly. Now a pastor's wife. Modest. Just the glory of that bride. It was beautiful. It was more than Maddie. It was the Lord on her. And God's wonders. Brothers and sisters, you pray for Pastor Chuck Ramsey that he will have a pure heart and keep it simplified because the culture wants us to strategize and make it complex. Wants us to appear to be crafty, have influence. But listen to me. You know what's happening with the well? These young adults. They're in here, it's only 130 of them, 100 or whatever. There's nothing shiny about or sexy about this, really. But God's here. Why? What's this generation drawn to? I had a 26-year-old a girl that I'd never met, been here for about a year, 
catch us between services. And she said, Pastor Chuck, keep it pure. Keep it simple. It's what I've been dying for. Purity has a way of cutting through all the charades. Let me let, tell you another story. Michael shared. Michael, he pastors. He's, he grew up in a Church of Christ church. Isn't that funny? And now they worship for like three hours at their church. Church of Christ, they don't do um, instruments or music. They feel like it takes away and glorifies people or whatever. And he never intended to plant down in the Oakland district of Dallas, Texas, which is artsy, creative, the sexually confused, upper, white class people live. And the Lord called him down there and the Lord said, you're not coming to minister to people. You're coming to minister to me. He did, being a Church of Christ guy, a young pastor, he, he, was, he said he had to Google. Is that even a biblical thing? And he Googled it and said, yeah, it took him to the life of David. And he said, they've had, I don't know, lots of people delivered from sexual confusion, which is no small thing. And he, said, he tells a story about one man who came up to him and he said to him, Michael, you know I was a big deal in the drag world. I won all of the pageants. I was famous. And since I started coming here, my life has been changed. And the, the guy asked him, do you have a program for me? Michael said, how'd you get transformed? He said, I used to sit back there in that corner, and when the, when the music would start, it was like somebody was hugging me. And he said, do you have a program to help me? And Michael said, yeah. Just keep sitting back there in that corner, and when the music starts, let God hug you. Because that's what got you here. That's what's going to get you through. That's... That's simple. And he, and he goes on and he says, did we talk about sexual stuff? Did we disciple? Yes, yes, yes. But what broke the, the yoke? What broke the bondage? God's presence. Simple, pure worship. God revealed to that young man Jesus and his love. Can somebody thank God for it? Come on, somebody. Come on, let that presence resonate in this place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to quickly close. But I said all that to say this, to get us to this bullseye. How many of you can give me five more minutes? Okay, awesome. I got 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. That's so corny. That's such a cheap preacher dad joke. Um, but I, seriously, um, David, the Bible says in Acts 13, 22, listen to me. God said about David, he was a man after my own heart. Verses later in verse 26, it says, he served his own generation well. That's a big deal. He, was, he had a, a heart for God. And because of that, God enabled him to serve his generation well. Where did he get that heart? What was that heart about? In Isaiah chapter 61, 
I'm sorry, 66, verse 1. It says this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Look, where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Now, I'm going to just stop right there. Everybody listen. So God says, get this picture, everybody. I get to sit in heaven. I mean, what a picture of an almighty, omnipotent. And I'll just make the earth my footstool. And then God says, but who will build a house for me? Where I can have what it says, a resting place. Where God rests, people are arrested spiritually and set free. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. But he only manifests himself where he's welcomed. Are y'all out there? God is in all of us. But he only rests in a few of us. God's question is, who will build me a resting place? I, we could go all through the Bible from Genesis. God created, why? Have a resting place. He man, he, listen, he longs to manifest himself in time and space. He doesn't want us to just sit here and have a historical awareness of. Throughout the ages, God, he's just been God. That's what gods do. God looks for a time and a place to manifest himself. In the cool of the day, a time. He came to the garden, a place. He wants to have a time where you will give him space in your life. He wants to have a church that it'll be all about him. And David knew that. Now look, there's 150 psalms. David wrote 75 of them. About 30 of them were written while he was king or people who were related to him. And Psalm 132 is the, the pinnacle point to help you understand the other 149. Because we learn something about David that is sets him apart. And it reveals to us something that we need to know right now in 2023. What is it? David made a vow to the Lord. What was the vow? He said, I'm not going to have me a house for me until I build him a house for him. Look what it says in Psalm 132. Remember Oh, Lord. And let me tell you, by the way, this is Solomon writing on behalf of his father, David. So this isn't David speaking first person. This is his legacy. The next generation saying, my dad was so committed to this, I can write this on his behalf. That's a big thing to understand the perspective. Remember, oh, Lord, on David's behalf, all his affliction, everything he went through, to be about your presence. People got killed dealing with the ark. That's what Solomon's referring to. It cost him a lot of points of popularity at the pole. 
Because he didn't have a military strategy. His military strategy, his economy strategy for the people of God was God's presence. Worship. Verse 2. Remember, O Lord, how to the Almighty One of Jacob. Surely I will not enter my house. I'm sorry. Nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I face for the Lord a dwelling place. Some translations say a resting place. What's God looking for? This pro the prophet told us. He's got heaven and the earth as a little footstool, but he's looking for a house. dwelling place. Verse 8 Solomon says so arise Lord to your resting place. You and the ark of your look at verse 13 for the Lord has chosen Zion he has desired it for his habitation this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it and where I dwell, this is why we are a vertical church where I dwell, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her her needy with bread. Are y'all out there, everybody? Anybody sensing the Holy Spirit? Or I know I'm being touched by the Lord as I share this. I just pray you're being that you're able to receive this. I know we're right here in the middle of vacation season. We needed a vertical church 2.0 update. I'm closing with this and let this infect you and be contagious. You go, Pastor Chuck, you're going to take a whole sermon and talk to us about your ministry philosophy for the church? I got needs. No, this isn't just how we do ministry. This is how you lead your family. This is how you build your house. Are you all out there? You, you agree? You make, remember the setting the table series last fall? Remember? Get the junk out and he'll bring the glory in. Anybody remember that? That's what this is about. We get the junk out and the glory comes in. Your children will feel like somebody's hugging me. The, the, the purity of his presence will break through some things. Now, this is a whole nother sermon. I put, I put too much in one sermon, but just listen to the tape if you're full already. In Psalm 69, David is lamenting and he's going, my life has been hard. People have gotten killed with the presence of his saying, God, I, I, I made worship a big deal, and it cost me a lot. And then he says in verse 9, hear this, but zeal for your house has consumed me. It, does that mean anything to anybody? It's got, God, this is my passion. Making sure worship is right in your house. Big deal that Jesus would later in the Gospels he would, he would quote David. And you go, is it a messianic psalm? 
Or is it Jesus going, man, I, I got to say what David said. And he says it. Zeal for my father's house consumes me. What, what was the occasion? You know what the occasion was? They were selling stuff, doing business. They were getting sexy in the church, making it about something other than worship. And Jesus turned the tables over. He said, this is my house. And this house will be about my father. And then he says, zeal for your house consumes me. And I pray that in this room, everybody on this main floor in that balcony, that you can say, zeal for his house consumes me. It's important to me, Pastor Chuck, too, that we remain a vertical church. Come on, somebody. Can you receive what the Lord is saying to you this morning? If you have zeal for his house, come on, I want you to just stand and lift up praise. I want you to just lift, clap your hands, raise your voices, tell the Lord you love him, you simply want to worship him in purity, righteousness, humility, contrition. Come on, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We praise you. Come on, make this a house of worship. We magnify you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. Before they lead us in this course, just a time, turn to somebody next to you. Tap them on the shoulder. Tell neighbor, let's get vertical. Tell somebody, let's stay vertical. Now, how many of you are thankful that you're in a vertical church? How many of you are ruined and you'll never, ever be able to be satisfied in a horizontal church ever again? And if you do leave this one, I pray that you will be an influence that will help that one be a vertical church. Amen? Come on, nothing else. Nothing else. Let's sing it out. Nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Just lift it up before we go. Father, we declare, we make a vow that we will be consumed, have a zeal for you and your house. May this be a place that touches our families in a profound way. The simple purity of spirit-filled ministry, meeting you, Emmanuel, God with us. Come on, may Restoration Church be a dwelling place, a resting place. We build you a house of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. 
May he lift his countenance up on you and give you peace. Say it, I receive it. Bless y'all, love you.